Hello, hello, hello. My name is Stephanie Golston Paul, and this is the Take Nothing When I Die podcast, which amplifies and celebrates the wisdom and genius of people who've managed multiple careers in one lifetime. Welcome back to the Take Nothing When I Die podcast, y'all. I'm your host, Stephanie Ghost and Paul, and you have made it to episode seven. I'm so excited for you to hear our guest today. You are really in for a treat. But first, I just want to remind y'all, if you are enjoying the podcast, if you've learned something, if something has resonated with you, do not forget to both rate and review it. It lets the platforms know that you're interested, you want to hear more content, and don't forget the show notes. So I had a couple people reach out to me and say, well, there was something that your guests mentioned on the podcast and I want to know more about it. If you go to, to www.stephaniegostin.com slash T-N-W-I-D, you will find the show notes for each and every show. Anything that the guests mention, any resources, uh, memes, doodles, graphics, it's all housed there. And you'll find a bunch of information about the guests as well. So don't forget to rate and review and check out the show notes. Now for today, we have the marvelous Melinda Weeks Laidlow. She brought down the house, y'all. I've really been working on not just saying excited, great, amazing. Uh, those are kind of filler words. And I say them over and over again. But it's so hard not to with all the wonderful guests I've been honored to have on the show. But anyways, back to Melinda. I won't call her great. I won't call her amazing. I won't call her wonderful. I will say that this woman is multifaceted, multi-layered, and just all out inspirational. So before we hop into the interview, let me just make sure I do justice to all that has shaped who she is today and read her bio to y'all. Melinda Weeks Laidlow is a social change architect. She's an expert facilitator, ordained minister, and social entrepreneur. She's the president of Weeks in Advance Enterprises, an organizational development firm offering consulting, facilitation, coaching, and professional development services in arts and culture, social innovation, racial equity, and collaborative leadership spaces. Melinda is also a graduate professor of management at Marlboro College in Brattleboro, Vermont, and has served for several years as a managing director for for Race Forward, the Center for Racial Justice Innovation. Previously, Melinda founded and operated her own transactional law firm in New York City and was a senior associate at the Interaction Institute for Social Change, where she now serves on its board. Melinda is on the advisory board of Wesleyan University's Patricelli Center for Social Entrepreneurship and serves on the ministerial staff at the Greater Allen AME Cathedral of New York. In 2015, Echoing Green named her as its first ever, first ever, y'all, social entrepreneur in residence, which supported her work as founder CEO of Beautiful Ventures, a platform to disrupt anti-Blackness and elevate perceptions of people of Af African descent through inclusive storytelling and popular culture. Melinda holds degrees from Wesleyan University, Harvard University, and New York University School of Law. As a native New Yorker born in the Bronx, Melinda flows between the Big Apple and the Big Peach, which is Atlanta, Georgia, if you didn't know, 
where she now makes home and community. I am so honored and excited for you to hear my interview with Melinda. We have Melinda on the line. Hi, Melinda. How are you doing? Hey, I'm well, Stephanie. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Yeah, I'm so excited that we have you here with us today. We have lots to talk about, but as we always start all of our conversations with uh, where in the world you are, so let our listeners know where you're at, and then tell us how you're doing, like how you're for real, for real doing, not like the real truth, not the surface level answer. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I am coming to you from my library uh, in my home in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so that's where I am. And I am for real, for real, uh, doing well and also kind of like in a liminal space, like in a, in a good liminal space of just um, transition, the affirmation of the transition uh and also feeling a bit full i um recently just this this morning heard from, from the blue from a mentor of mine who just really affirmed um a lot of what's going on and and where i feel led to go so i'm feeling tingly and full and maybe a bit tender mm, tingly and tender i love that yeah have like not that. heard that on the show yet tingly yes. and tender i try to i try to keep my my ass you know my uh, alliteration original <laughs> I love it I love it I love it uh I appreciate you answering honestly too often we're in conversations where we just are kind of on autopilot and we're like how you doing how you doing I'm good I'm good and we keep going so um it's also really interesting that uh Melinda and I were in a circle last night and somebody had brought up the fact that they have been in community with pretty much the same group of folks for about 30 years and one of the and the questions that they ask are how are you doing and how are you for real for real doing so I feel like that's a really cool parallel um from 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 last night that we that we shared yeah I agree that's too funny so let's get right into the questions um as you know on take nothing when I die there you know who knows what questions we might ask but if we're being for real for real, I did send the questions in advance. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say. And you've been all over the country. So as you think about networking, as you think about being in community, as you think about meeting new folks, oftentimes one of the first questions that comes out of folks' mouth is this question, what do you do? It's very, uh, in, in different places, there's different variations of it. But on a scale of one to 10, if you wanted to rate that question, how much do you dislike it, right? Like 10 is like someone asks you and you are so irate, like you go through a whole scenario where you like strangle them. And one is like, I love ask, answering that question or I love when I'm asked that question. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a four on that question. Wait, 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 wait. So four, so the, the 10 means how much I dislike it? Dislike it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So then I need to adjust my scale. Um, so then I'm, I'm like about a, I'm about a seven and a half. Seven and a half. Okay. Yeah. And why? Because I am who I am, not what I do. I, I'm not big on small talk. And a lot of times, I guess it's my, my own thing. I have 
I read into the kind the people who are asking those kinds of questions and I, you know, I shouldn't judge them so harshly, I suppose, but a lot of times I feel like it's coming from a place of trying to put me in a box. And that's one thing I don't like. Mm. Um, and then also trying to evaluate my worthiness based on my answer. So that's why it's over the five mark, but it's not like high because like, that's just how people talk. And that's what we have been, you know, all um, socialized to, to ask. So that's my answer. Like I'm not, uh, you know, I, I try not to ask that question. It's like a last resort when I ask that question. Cause I'm really not that fond of it. It really doesn't matter as much as I think we, we have been taught that it matters. Mm-hmm. What would you rather be asked? And then go ahead and answer that question for us. I mean, I think a better question might be, or a question I would rather be asked would be like, you know, how did you, you know, how did you make your way here? Like, you know, what's the story that brought you here today? <laughs> it, you know, because it's usually asked at a social setting or some kind of setting of people are making small talk. But like, what are the relationships, you know, that brought you here today? And for me, the answer to that question is for you. And like how I got to be on this dope podcast was a great, a great story. Like that's more interesting. So, you know, one of my friends and, and, and former colleagues at a place I used to work, the great Akiba Solomon, <laughs> editor of Color Lines, um, author, had been, was having a book talk at the Jimmy Carter Museum several months back, and I attended, uh, and I met you through our mutual colleague, Matisse Haynes, who mentioned that you were new to town and that you did this work, and that's how I learned about you and uh, connected, and then through social media and also our husbands, <laughs> frankly, mm-hmm. um, connecting, then we, we, we were able to connect ourselves and you made this gracious invitation. Like that's a much more rich, evocative answer than like, what do you do to me? Yeah, I would agree. And thank you for offering that story. It's so funny uh, with, with, with my guests, I've been going through the origin story of like, how did we meet and how, how are we connected? So it's been good to kind of trace that back. And over time, Sometimes I lose sight of some of those um, those strings. Like how did how did we get together? Yeah. Um, so so it was a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you want to be when you grow up? And I recognize this question is typically asked to younger children, right? It's like aspirational, and we kind of stop asking that question after a while. So I wanted to bring that back as an adult who is evolving, growing. What do you want to be when you grow up? I would like, don't tell anybody, but <laughs> I think I would like to not have to work. I think I would like to be financially secure and independently so, so that I could do the work that my soul must have at any given time. Shout out to, um, uh, um, oh my gosh, the elder that just passed away. I remember her name in a minute who talks about doing the work that your soul must have. So I would love to be able to devote myself to um, the justice work that I care about, the creative work that I care about, community work, um, advocacy, ministry. I think I would really like not to have to work. So 
So that would be a, a person who is free and independent mm-hmm. um, to to spend her time, talent, energy, and creativity um, doing s- several kinds of things, but they would consist of some combination of all those things. Love it. Love it. So as you know, on the podcast, we are talking to lots of folks who've managed multiple careers in one lifetime. And you spoke to some of the work that you've done. Um, When you think about the whole trajectory, um, what has, has there been like a common theme throughout the things that you've been involved in? And tell us a little bit about the process of kind of packaging it all together. Like uh, a lot of folks ask the question, like, how does this fit together? How do I talk about it? How do I make it into a cohesive story that makes sense to me and other folks? So talk to us a little bit about that process of trying to put it all together, doing all the things that you love. Yep. So it's Katie Geneva Cannon who recently passed away, womanist theologian, uh, who who that, uh, taught us that phrase and, and advocated that we do the work our, soul mu- our souls must have. So I see a thread of um, meaning-making in my work. I see a thread of interpretation. I see a thread of community-making. And so, you know, my work... I trained as a as a lawyer, practiced law for 10 years, then went to divinity school, di- discerning a call to ministry, but also sure, even when I went to law school, I never saw myself retiring from the practice of law. I wanted to get the training. I wanted to get a credential that would enable me to be empowered to get things done. I have a passion for justice. And I also had kind of entrepreneurial desires and was kind of trying to discern a call to ordain ministry, which growing up in the church, like that's a big thing. And it usually means that you like cast aside everything else to pursue this thing. And I wasn't feeling that that was what I was called to do, but I did go to divinity school and that enabled me to get deeper into a lot of the intellectual work that I wanted to do that was sparked in me at undergrad that um, law school didn't really satisfy being a bit more vocational and transactional. And it also allowed me to deepen my interdisciplinary um, penchant. Um, So I took courses at the Divinity School, but I took courses at the Kennedy School of Government, at the Harvard Business School as well. Um, And I found out about this area of social entrepreneurship, which was, again, a blending of disciplines, kind of make doing well, but also doing good and the market and the community. And so those, those spaces of interdisciplinary um, practice resonate with me. So I often say now that I'm, you know, do ministry in the church and beyond the church and see all of my work as ministry, as service, um, it's definitely motivated by a sense of um, uh, my Christian, Christian, conviction and kind of following the steps of Christ, being a, a justice change agent uh, and a transformer, right, of, of folks, I see there a thread of like doing like law, man's law and God's law, but all around like interpretation of a common text in some ways, but really meaning making in community, which is a lot of what my facilitation practice um, is driven by 
folks making meaning together and how can I support communities aligning, discovering, strategizing, um, transmitting culture, reconciling. Uh, those are some of the common threads throughout, I think, the various hats I've had on it at one point or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really cool. When you, when you think of um, like wearing those different hats, can you give us a specific example of how you use, whether it's that, that skill of storytelling, community building, um, interpretation, meaning making, tell us how you used it in one context to help problem solve in a different, which may be a seemingly unrelated context. Can you tell us how you kind of transferred those skills? Yeah, that's a great. So I'll give you an example. Um, this past Sunday, I was asked to teach a Sunday school class at the church where my husband and I are now serving. And it's an adult Sunday school class. And I was the youngest person there. And because I'm a facilitator, because I train adults, I brought in all of those skills and really made the Sunday school class very different, I was told, which I imagined after, afterwards when people gave me you know, feedback and said how much they enjoyed it, than how that usually goes. So in churches, it's usually a lot of times, particularly for adult Sunday school classes or adult teaching, is like one person who's doing all the talking and the speaking and the sharing. Mm-hmm. And I did some of that, but I really asked a lot of great questions. So certainly my legal training, right? <laughs> and like litigation, asking questions to get information out. But then my facilitation, which is a lot of times how to frame great questions to get the conversation going, but also get it deepening on a different level. And so those facilitation, those question, you know, forming skills, I brought into a Sunday school class of adults who were kind of taken aback, but they wanted to talk. And oh my I got so much more out of it, not that it's about me, but I think they even got more than they usually would get because I learned, I mean, I had a conversation with one gentleman. I put them in small groups and then large groups, basic facilitation move, <laughs> not, not so in a Sunday school class, you know, in your average black church to kind of like have small group time and a large group time and for the the teacher to not have all the answers, but to to mine the wisdom of the crowd. Um, one gentleman, he was telling me about his great-grandfather who was a slave, who lived in his house with him until he was 13 years old. Oh. It just blew my mind how much wisdom hmm. <laughs> is, is within us and how, how, how much uh, uh, richness we have. Uh, and that a lot of times come from just asking questions and, and listening. Hmm. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I, I'm, I'm sure you were shaking things up a little bit. Shaking I was, I was. <laughs> they were, you know, they were skeptical. Some folks would give me the side eye, but that is the work. Like that is the ministry work too. It's not always what you say. It's like how you roll. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's what I feel called to do is in the how a lot of times, uh, which is another piece of um, my work is, is the how. It's not always the what, it's the how. Yeah. Yeah. I also love how you said they really wanted to talk. And so it's not that it's not that you are depending on the wisdom that's in the room. That's always been there, but the how, right. The format hasn't always been conducive to that. And so the way that you came in opened that up, which is incredible. That's amazing. 
Yep. You're amazing. You're just amazing. So of all these roles, you've, you've worn a lot of hats, worn a lot of roles. Um, have you had a favorite role? And tell us about that role. Wow. That's so, what a cool question. I don't know if I've had a favorite role, except that I do know that when I'm at my, when I'm at my fullest in those roles is what I, is my favorite. I know that there was a time in my life where like, oh, I was, my many different roles were like all on blast and operating at full potential in a way that I just felt alive and um, I could see the impact. And that um, stands out to me as, as, as what I really enjoy. I think I've fashioned my life in a way so that I don't have to have one role only. I think that's my, my, my thing. Um, so even now I, I do wear different roles and what I'm really seeking after is that feeling of feeling fully alive and in my fullest power. Uh, and sometimes for me, that means I need to switch up roles, you know, or just reposition myself, even though the, the roles may still be um, the same, but it's like, how am I living, manifesting my purpose and are the roles conducive to that? And so that's, that's where I am right now. I'm trying to figure that out um, in a transition space. Mm, very mm-hmm. cool. Very cool. This is a little bit of a bonus question and it, I Good. feel like it just comes up naturally. Give me what you got. Give me some bonus. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay. Bonus okay. question. Yes. So you talked about all these hats that you've worn. You've talked about some of the common threads. You've talked about fashioning your life in a way that is like you are living out your purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think it is about you that it, that you have that ability to do that? Because so many times I'm in conversations or I'm coaching folks that are like, that's cool. Sounds good for you. But like, I couldn't do that. So like, what have you cultivated or what, what is it about you that allows you to do all of that stuff? Yeah. Um, and I, I think it just is a point of relatability because people are like, I, I just couldn't do that. Like, what would you say to those folks? Yeah, that's a great question. I remember when I used to um, be torn about not being able to decide. I remember a particular time in my life, I think it was after even law school. <laughs> and I remember being in law school and dreaming about, ooh, would I go to grad school, you know, you know, to do like intellectual work. And this kind of tormented me a little bit because we're not, we're taught, to, especially like myself, you know, first generation, you know, college and law school to not be clear and like to go on that track of, of staying within the lines and, and all of that investment in so many ways and expectation to kind of lay that aside. But I remember a particular point in time and I saw this documentary on Maya Angelou and Maya Angelou said who they were interviewing her. Um, and she said, whoever said that you only had to choose one thing, that you only had to be one thing. And that helped me out so much um, because I stopped trying to be either this or that and embraced um, that I would be multiple things. So that like wisdom from an elder in that way helped me to, to, to not 
put myself in a box in a, in a false dichotomy. Um, I think also early in my career, I, I got out of the, the realm of expectations of what was expected of me. So maybe was it just three years or so after I finished law school? First of all, I went to work for a small black owned firm, which coming out of a, you know, top law school, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do. But then I left them um, uh, because they weren't, you know, fully setting a sister up for success. So I got out of law and then I did a whole host of other things. I think early in my career of being able to not be so invested in an identity Hmm. that was put upon me and, and the ability, I think early to kind of lay that aside, allow me to do it again and again. Um, So I think that's one thing. And I, and I also come to learn um, how I am values driven, that values are really big for me. I I learned that through a strength finders test. And I was like, oh, that's why, like, I'm interested in, like, going beneath the surface in my work and and having work that is aligned with my values. Because if I'm not aligned with my values, then I'm I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that's a a virtue or a vice, but so much of the work that people are doing is not aligned with their values. And so it's, it's almost selfish, frankly, for me to move in such a way that I feel that alignment because because then misery is not like my lot. Hmm. Um, I get to be at least aligned with myself and feeling good about my work. And then it it all goes from there. You know, it doesn't always result in, you know, all the straight lines and all of the prestige and and the, the bottom line and the money and the bling bling and all those things. But I think my, I think there's a lot of benefits too. I know that there are benefits too that are, that in in many ways priceless. So those are some of the contributing factors, I think, to my ability to, to go against the grain and to really reinvent myself in a, in a way of designing, you know, life and then trying things and they don't work, not being afraid to, to just like shift. Hmm. Yeah. I love, you said something about um, uh, it being selfish to be able to shape your life in that way. And it reminds me of, um, I've been having a lot of conversations about things that are privileges that shouldn't be privileges. Like it shouldn't be a privilege to do what you love. It shouldn't be a privilege to align your, 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 your life so that you're not miserable. But the norm is that people have to do these things. Yeah feel obligations in their life um so I really appreciate you point bringing that out and um it just is reminding me I had a wonderful therapist in Portland black woman who was like your your job is to be free for people who can't be free so I've just been th- that has been coming up so much in my life where I'm like I see people who aren't free or who can't be free and I need to spend my privilege which is to to spend that relative freedom in a way that uh, that is impactful. So that's right. That's it's re- res- it's resonating and reverberating for me. Mm-hmm. All right, we're getting to the last question, okay. and uh, the the podcast has has been born out of a lot of things that have come up for me in my life. But uh, when I was really sitting down and solidifying solidifying the title and the subject matter this quote from Les Brown came up. So I'll read a couple excerpts from it. And he says, the graveyard is the richest place on the earth. 
because it is here you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take that first step, keep with the problem, determined to carry out their dream. And so when I think about not taking something with you to the grave, um, what's the most expensive piece of advice or wisdom that you don't want to take with you to the grave? And it can be expensive in whatever way makes sense, expensive in what the lesson that you learned or how much you paid for it, but what's something that you don't want to take with you to the grave? <laughs> wow. I think I'll, I'll, I think I will um, start or end where I started, which is with the, the Katie Cannon quote of um, doing the work that your soul must have and then remixing it with Howard Thurman, who speaks of the sound of the genuine and that the world is waiting for the sound of the genuine within us. Um, and that, um, and to believe that your genuine is what the world needs. Um, and so that is the work that your soul must have. And just to encourage people especially in these times in which we're living, um, it's just so, I think, hard to not be on purpose. And so there's freedom in being on purpose and in purpose. And give that gift to yourself and to the rest of us because we need, we need that. We need it. That's my advice. There That's we go. My, my expensive. Work. It's, it's so expensive. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. that was pricey that was really pricey was pricey good 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 priceless yes um <laughs> uh i have really enjoyed this conversation before we get to all your information all that stuff anything else you want to add or want folks to know um about you no i think you'll have all the information melindaweeks.com beautifulventures.com we're on Facebook and Instagram, and um, I am always looking to connect with folks. So please feel free to reach out. I'm blessed to have a lot of people that I look to as mentors and, and people that, I, that look to me as a mentor. And I, and I um, am always eager to expand that circle. So I look forward to being able to connect with folks too. If anything that I've said here resonates and, and um, provokes. Very cool. I'll make sure everybody has your information and anything cool coming up in this next decade for Beautiful Ventures. Anything you have in the, in the works that you want to preview here? Yeah, we are. Um, Beautiful Ventures is my my current kind of passion work that combines a lot of the work that I've been doing in social justice for the last decades and we influence popular culture disrupt anti-blackness and elevate perceptions of black humanity so we're building a network of storytellers and story lovers that want to see anti-blackness shifted to a narrative that affirms black the humanity of all black folks and so within the next decade but in the next few years you'll see our network grow accelerator programs that help Black creatives build sustainable businesses like their own Motowns, their own studio museums in Harlem, uh, combined with technolo technology. And then we'll also 
be launching a community capital fund where you don't mm. have to be wealthy to be able to invest in these businesses and we build community wealth in ways that are generative and not uh, extractive. Very cool. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you again, Melinda. It's been such a pleasure and hopefully we will talk soon. Oh man, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you so much. A pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, y'all. I just, for this Take Nothing When I Die takeaway, I actually want to do something a little different. I want you to just pause where you are, take a long, deep breath, and maybe even close your eyes as I repeat Melinda's remix of that Howard Thurman quote. She said, the world is waiting for the sound of the genuine within us. That's it, y'all. You better go forth and be fruitful. Can we get a better invocation? I don't think we actually could. But you know it's about that time, folks. Time to wrap it up. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Major news alert in terms of platforms. Take Nothing When I Die is now on iHeartRadio. So if that is your preferred way to listen to music, you can also listen to podcasts on there and Take Nothing When I Die is up and running. We're building community in so many ways. Social media, you can find us on Twitter at TNWID or on Instagram spelled out Take Nothing When I Die. We also have a Patreon community. So there's videos of the podcast if you like visuals. More tidbits from me. There's a community of living ancestors there who have questions, comments, and thoughts they're sharing. Go ahead and join. You can also support through a one-time donation, which goes towards my coaching and consulting work and also producing this podcast, which is not free. PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App, those links can be found on my site. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off again. This is Stephanie Ghostin Paul, your host of the Take Nothing When I Die podcast. And I am leaving you with your episodic reminder that you are a living ancestor. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.